You're listening to episode 123 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is guarding our mind and relationship for the rocky roads, because God did not promise an easy path. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is guarding our mind and relationship for the rocky roads. Growing up, my father loved the saying, life's not fun or fair. And as a kid, I absolutely hated that saying because I had this strong inner belief that we make what we want out of our lives and that God didn't leave us here to be miserable. And so if I wanted to have a joy-filled life, I could chase after that. And I didn't have to end up in a job that I didn't like. And I could do something that produces an income and still absolutely love it. And while there's a lot of truth to that, I have also grown up and I've walked through some toxic jobs. I've experienced the negative side of adulting, which is rocky and uncertain. And there's this constant worry about bills, even when the emergency fund is ready and that we're saving for this and that. And there's just this constant worry that seems to follow you around. And this reminds me of the story of Joseph, who somehow went through a series of trials and testing, being sold off by his brothers, being put in prison, and yet he held on to this faith. He, he knew the true promises, and he had an outlook that honored and worshiped God, and it was like the worry and the concern just didn't, it didn't radiate from him. What did was the love of the Lord, and it's something that I'm seeking in my own life, and as a traveler, maybe you're looking at this too. You're looking at times when you have traveled and things went horribly wrong, totally against your plans, and they hurt, And you sat there wondering why God let X, Y, and Z happen. And today, we're going to turn to scripture and we're going to look at Genesis 37 and 39 through 42 to take a look at the story of Joseph, at least the beginning of it, and see how this journey got started and how his foundations were laid, and how we can take some time to mindfully reflect on that. Before I dive into that, I want us to take a moment. I want to take a moment to actually clear our minds. Let's just go ahead and take a moment to reset. Take a moment to breathe in and breathe out. 
And as you inhale, think of all the worries that are currently on your plate and then exhale them out. One worry at a time, take it in and then let it out. Let's give them all to the Lord so that we can truly be blessed by these words today from scripture. So a quick recap of family history, and if you want all the details, go ahead and listen to the past few episodes. But specifically, let's look at the family history of Joseph. Starting with Sarah and Abraham, in their old years, they have a son named Isaac who marries Rebecca, and the two of them have twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel, and he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and between Leah, Rachel, and their servants, he ends up having 12 sons, presently 11, at the moment in which we find Joseph. He is the son of Jacob, or Israel's later years, a son of Rachel, his favorite of his wives, and Rachel has died, and So Joseph is incredibly precious because he's of his later years. And if you just look back at this family history, if you if you even think back to his grandfather, who didn't have a son until his wife, Sarah, was past age bearing years, there's already this family history of holding precious children born in later years. So Joseph is right up there. He's incredibly important. And Jacob decides to make a colorful coat for Joseph. The brothers already despise Joseph because he's the favorite son, but this kind of really pushes things to the limit. But Joseph, I don't know, maybe he was struggling with humility. Maybe he was just at that age and stage where he just had to share everything, but God blessed him with some really impactful dreams. One of them being, he saw these sheaves, like piles of wheat or something that they were uh, piling up, and him and his brothers were. And in his dream, he dreamt that his sheaf stood up and all of the other ones came and bowed down to it. And this really bothered the brothers because they're like, we are older than you. Why would we worship you? Like this, this really bothers us and you're already a favorite. So the brothers think he's not being very humble. They think he's taking on this identity of being the favorite, of being the baby child. And therefore they kind of have their quarrel with him. But then he has another dream. And in this dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. And this even rubs Jacob, his father, a little raw. He's like, why do you think me and mom and your brothers are going to all bow down to you? And in my exploration of this passage, there's currently 11 brothers. So to have 11 stars bow down to him, I feel like this was God hinting at there was going to be another brother. 
But I didn't necessarily find those notes anywhere. But interesting foresight in this passage. So this sets the stage for brothers are not so, not a huge fan of him. He's about 17 years old and he decides to follow his brothers out uh, shepherding in some rocky areas of Canaan. And these were not easy hills to navigate, but he did it on his own. And he got to where his brothers were supposed to be, and they're gone. So he approaches So he approaches some other herders in the area and says, Do you know where my brothers went? And, and they tell him. And I think the reason that these herders knew where the brothers went or paid attention to their conversation is because God was blessing them and their flocks were huge. They they were not people that you just like, oh, there goes another little small flock. This was something that drew your attention. So he's like, oh yeah, they, they moseyed on to this next destination. And the brothers are sitting there talking up gossip about Joseph. And they really are just annoyed with him. When they see him coming, they're like, here comes Mr. Dreamer. Let's go ahead and put him in this pit, and the animals eat him, and then he'll just be out of our lives. Which tells you just how far gone this relationship is. Like, I know siblings joke about things, but to have them all so bitter that they're going to let him eat, get eaten by the animals, like, that's just wrong. So, Reuben, he's not okay with this, because he knows oldest brother responsibility, dad's going to be mad and upset, especially if he dies and gets eaten by wild animals. So he's like, put him here, but don't lay a hand on him. Don't hurt him. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just leave him here. But Reuben's intent was to come back and get him out of the pit and rescue him so that he saves his brother and the feud, the feud can kind of blow over for a little while. But I don't know what Reuben goes and does. But he steps away for a little bit once they get him in the pit. And the brothers are like, you know what? Here comes some Ishmaelites. Let's go ahead and sell Joseph to him for 20 shekels, which is about what you would sell for like a male servant at that time. That's how much you would get was 20 shekels. And so they sell him. And then he's taken away to Egypt. And this foundation that Joseph has of these dreams that the Lord has provided with him, promising this miraculous future, Joseph has to really put his trust in them because the next 13 years or so is going to be one crazy thing after the other. The brothers, they head back. They uh, kill an animal and pour some blood onto the cloak and they hand it to the father and they say please identify that this is your son's robe they don't say we think this is our brother's robe they don't unify themselves with joseph in any way and they basically let jacob make the assumption and jacob says Oh no, an animal has truly eaten my son. And he weeps and he mourns for the loss of his son in a way that he could not be comforted. And it goes on and on for days. And that sorrow continues on. And while the brothers comfort their father, 
it comes from a place of knowing that they lied, that one lie led to another, and they know the truth that he's alive, that he's out there, but that Reuben feels like he has to stick with this lie, that he's been pulled into it, and it just keeps growing. And it keeps growing for 13 plus years because... When Joseph arrives in Egypt, he's sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and he begins to serve, work as a servant in this place, and God is blessing everything that Joseph is doing. And pretty soon Potiphar ends up trusting to him everything in the household except for what he ate and obviously his wife. And Joseph is super successful. But as he ages from 17 to, you know, I don't know, several years down the line, he ends up, you know, looking a little more attractive and Potiphar's wife starts to notice. So she decides to wait until a day when there is not a single other servant in the house. And she comes upon him, grabs his cloak and grabs his cloak and says, you're going to sleep with me. And he says, no. No, because your husband ha is the master, and he has trusted me with everything except for you, and I won't sin against my master, nor will I sin against God. It's like Satan is putting this temptation here. He put a temptation when he got sold off into slavery to uh, forget the dreams and promises of the Lord. He, he put this temptation there to turn bitter against his family. He put this temptation there and that didn't work. So now he's going to try and, um, have him turn against the Lord through adultery. Um, and instead Joseph flees, he leaves his outer garment and just takes off running. And Potiphar's wife feels rejected. She's hurt. And so she decides to be a little bit evil. And she's like, "Oop, I'm going to hold on to this coat for the rest of the day until Potiphar gets home. And she starts telling all the servants as they come home, he tried to sleep with me. He like whatever. And so Potiphar maybe understood that his wife was lying. Maybe not. But she, but he put Joseph into prison, specifically the prison that Potiphar owned. So the punishment could have been so much worse for attempted rape as it was accused, falsely accused. It could have been execution, but instead the Lord protects Joseph and puts him in prison, which again, another place of temptation to turn against the Lord, to be bitter about life, Instead, he becomes the person that the guards trust to do everything, to take care of the other individuals in the cell. And Potiphar himself puts the king's cupbearer and the king's baker under Joseph's guard and watch. So he's still being successful, even in a toxic place. And he isn't letting these negative thoughts that so... And he isn't letting the negative thoughts stop him, the things that are keeping coming up on the road from stopping him. And so these two individuals have dreams. So they had two different dreams. And one, the, the cupbearer dreamt that there was a vine in front of him. It blossomed and had three different vines of grapes. And he squeezed them, put them into the cup, and put them in Pharaoh's hand. 
And the other, the king's baker, dreamt that he had cake baskets on his head, three different cake baskets, and with all sorts of goods, but the birds kept eating them off of his head. And so Joseph explains their dreams for them that the cupbearer in three days' time would be restored to the king's courts, and the baker would be killed, either impaled or hung, but either way, the crows would end up picking at his flesh, which is not a pretty picture, but in three days' time, that's what happened. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, don't forget me when you go to the castle. But what do you know, as soon as you're outside of the miseries of life, you start to forget things and you forget the things that bring you to a certain place. But two years go by and suddenly Pharaoh has these two really weird dreams. One is of these seven cows that are really plump, really healthy cows, and these seven like super um, food-deprived cows that come and eat the healthy cows. And then he wakes up and then he has another dream and it's about seven really healthy ears of corn and seven really not so healthy ears of corn, I guess. And they eat each other. And so, but yet the thin scrawny cow and the thin scrawny ear is still thin and scrawny. And so the cupbearer at this time remembers Joseph and they pull Joseph out of the prison they clean him all up bring him in front of the pharaoh because no other wise men could interpret this dream and they ask him to interpret it but joseph instantly says it's not i who interpret but the lord and the lord will give you a favorable favorable answer not meaning that it'll be an answer that he loves but it'll be one that gives him peace and understanding So he interprets the dream and he basically says, you're going to have seven years of plenty where you're going to produce more than you ever have in your harvest. And then you're going to have seven years of such severe famine that the seven years of wealth will be forgotten. And in his wisdom, Joseph suggests that they every year they take a fifth of everything from the harvest and they set it aside in barns until there will be so much food that they'll have some to give to the people during this famine. And Pharaoh instantly appoints him to be second in command only to him. He has as much power as Pharaoh, minus the fact that Pharaoh is, you know, seated in the courts. And thus it begins. He, Joseph, uh, oversees all of the things that come in. And they have seven years of plenty, and he keeps track of the numbers until there's just too much to count. But then the famine hits and his father looks at his 10 boys, says, what are you doing around, standing around here? It's time for you to go to Egypt and collect food. And when they arrive and they come up to Joseph, he instantly knows who they are, but they have no idea who he is. So he accuses them through an interpreter uh, just so that they wouldn't know that he understood their language. And he he tells them that they're they're spies and, and he locks them in prison for three days. And during that time, they begin to realize that what they did to their brother is coming back on them. And they 
they start to talk about this need for repentance and this need to like this recognition that God might be uh, acting out against their their sin. And Joseph understands all of this. And so there's many times during the story that he turns away to weep because he recognized like he wants to address his brothers, but he wants to make sure that they've changed. He wants to see that his brothers have changed their hearts. And so in the process of all this dialogue, they, he learns that in his old years, Joseph had another son named Benjamin. So it would be his younger brother. They learned that Jacob had another son named Benjamin, who would be his younger brother. And he says, okay, this is how I'm going to test that you're not a spy. Bring your younger brother to me. And um, I'm going to lock away Simeon, which is the second oldest brother, um, and he'll stay here until you bring him back. And this is how I know you aren't a spy. So they fill up their bags with what they'd come and paid for for grain, send them back, and then Joseph has them put the gold that they had paid for this grain with in the top of their sacks. And on their way home, they realize that the gold is there and they start to freak out because they're like, what is this thing that God has done against us? Meanwhile, I think it's important to note that Simeon being the second oldest, while Reuben left at that pit, Simeon would have been the eldest brother when Joseph was thrown into a pit and then sold. And Simeon had not stood up against his brothers and said, you know, this is family. This is not how we treat our family. So Simeon is left in a cell to reflect on his life choices, and they head home, and Jacob's heart just breaks. He pretty much instantly accept the, accepts the fact that Simeon is just permanently gone. He doesn't even question it. It, it just seems so wrong. Or maybe he kind of has a feeling that the brothers had something to do with the loss of Joseph. And so he just doesn't trust them to take Benjamin. He doesn't trust them to take Benjamin to go to this other land. And Reuben, and it's kind of a disgusting thing, he offers that if to, he promises to take care of Benjamin and take him back and get Simeon. And if he doesn't return with Benjamin, the now favorite son, then he allows his father, Jacob, to kill two of his own sons. And that is such a broken mentality, which just speaks of the sin and the hurt in this family. And the fact that Jacob still refuses, that he doesn't want anything to do with this, that he accepts Simeon is just gone, he, they lost that part of their family, and he refuses to let Benjamin go. Like, it just, it speaks of the heartache. And he says that if, if you would do this, like, you'll kill me because I, I will just be so heartbroken. And that's where that leaves us when we read 37 through 42, 37 and 39 through 42 and, and the story of Joseph. And we're going to pick up and continue and we're going to pick up and continue this story next week. But I want to take a moment just to say this as as travelers looking at this story there's a lot of pieces going on and there's a lot of different things that we could focus on but I want to just look at Joseph today 
he had a dream at the very beginning that these sheaves would bow down to him. And lo and behold, at the age of 30, he is installed into Pharaoh's courts almost 13 years after his brother sold him into slavery. And here comes his brothers. His brothers come and they bow down before him and they have no idea just how much God has blessed him. And through this whole season, Joseph did not have a life that was fun or fair. He did not have a life that was easy, straightforward. So many times we think that our journey in life is meant to be this super simple path. And if it's hard and rough and challenging, we get mad at God. We sometimes even let those toxic thoughts, those, well, life, this isn't right and whatever, you know, I'll never be able to change. This will always be the way it is. These negative thoughts just pile up and we let it write a script in our minds. But Joseph did not. He kept putting his trust back in the Lord. He acknowledged God being the one to interpret dreams, being the one that he has faith in. When he has his dialogue with his brothers, he acknowledges God. He says, believe it or not, I am a believer in God and this is how you're going to prove that you're not spies. He he acknowledges God. He brings it into the conversation. He continues to put his trust there and as adults and as travelers, we need that so much. And this brings me to a point, um, something I just want to share with you. So I have been really struggling with toxic thoughts and I grew up thinking that adult life, as I said in the beginning, would be super easy and simple and straightforward, but it's not and it's challenging and I've had toxic jobs, I've had toxic employers, I've had toxic X, Y, and Z and I didn't know how to teach them how to build me up, how to affirm me and I let my thoughts or the things that I felt that I was hearing from them start to define who I am and who I believe I am. Like the words that I say to myself when they're not in the room, when they're not the one, you know, and and some of those were things probably that Satan was putting there and maybe they never even said, but it was the emotion that I started to feel when I was around them. And if this is something that you're struggling with, two things that I have found super helpful lately. Well, actually, let's go with three. First of all, I am seeing a counselor and I know counselors have weird reputations, but if you can find a Christian counselor, we know it's important to take care of our bodies, so we go to the doctor, and we know it's important to take care of our faith, so we go to church. But sometimes we don't we neglect our emotional life. So having a counselor to help you process through things and cognitively reset you is super duper important. So that's my first encouragement. Secondly, if you have not heard of Dr. Caroline Leaf, who wrote the book Switch on Your Brain, I really recommend this book because she walks through scientifically, scientifically backed through scripture, how our bodies are, or how our minds are so much more complex. We tend to think of our minds as this plastic thing that has, you know what, I will always be this way and our our brains are permanently written in a certain way and that just makes us who we are. 
But she talks about how through scripture and through the study of science, they've found that our consciousness, our spirit, writes our brain. So what we let our consciousness say defines what our brain believes and what it does. And our thoughts, as scripture says, leads to our words and our actions. So she really talks about how to find those toxic thoughts and spend time working on them, rewriting them, filling them in with truth of God's word instead of the lies of Satan, pulling out the toxic thought, replacing it with something new, literally rewriting your brain. So this is a practice. It only takes about 10 minutes a day and it's such an empowering thing. And so many things can slip into the way of our day-to-day, but our minds are important because it affects how we respond and react to things and how we react to our emotions and the words and people around us. So if this is something that you struggle with, if you feel like you've gone through a story like Joseph, but you've ended at a different place where you feel burnt out and bitter towards God or just feeling a little lost... I really recommend her book. Additionally, the Christian Meditation Podcast. It is about a 15 to 20 minute podcast that reads a Bible verse to you, then lets you sit in silence for a few minutes, then reads it again, and then he gives you a point to reflect on. So it gives you just enough time to think about something, but not long enough that you get too distracted. And then he kind of like carries you through something. And essentially what I've been using these three tools to do is to build up my armor in the Lord, to guard my mind at the start of the day so that as I go through the day, I can trust and rely on the Lord. And if we just roll out of bed and walk out the door, then we haven't prepared for the spiritual warfare, for the, for the pains of this world, for the toxic things that people say to us, the toxic things we see on social media, the toxic things all around us. And so spending some time checking our thoughts, meditating on God's word, and having some accountability from a counselor helps us make sure that we are getting back on path with the Lord. So if you're traveling and you need an online counselor, they're out there. Um, If you're needing some accountability, there are people out there. And I just want to encourage you that it is possible to be like Joseph and to walk through rough seasons and still be putting your faith and your trust in the Lord. And um, I know at this point, Jacob and his family need some counseling. They need some healing. They need a lot of miracles to happen, but that's about to happen in next week's podcast. So make sure if you are, you're wanting that promise, you're wanting that freedom, you're wanting those chains taken down, make sure you tune in next week. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for these travelers. I thank you for their passion and for their spirit. Lord, the world tells us that our bodies are broken that our minds are faulty, that life is meant to be easy, and when it's not, it's our fault. But that's not the world that you put us in. You put us in one that is full of challenges so that we can be a light unto others, so that as we conquer mountains, we can shine your hope in places of darkness. 
And we're not doing it alone because you're with us. You're guarding our minds and our hearts and you're protecting us. But Lord, sometimes we get so lost and the toxic thoughts get so strong that we forget to turn back to you. We forget that you can help us rewrite our thoughts just like Joseph who put his trust in you from beginning to end. Lord, help us be like Joseph and check our thoughts to be truth instead of Satan's lies. Help us as we journey into this week and into this year. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christian travelers, I hope that today has been impactful for you, that it's been a good reminder of the story of Joseph and given you some food for thought of what truly rewriting our thoughts could look like. If you enjoyed today's episode, I really encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, share it with a friend, and leave a review. Those are three simple ways that you can encourage and share this uh, awesome message. And if you are wanting to connect with other Christians who like to travel, who like to dive into God's word while seeing the vastness and the uniqueness of his creation, then please head to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources, including our upcoming retreat in Punta Cana. Early bird cutoff date is September 25th, and you don't want to miss that. So find out more on our website. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.